Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. You were out, you went to an actual restaurant? Yeah, an actual, an actual restaurant, yeah, an Italian one. Wow. I would recommend you, it was Pizza Futura in Friedrichshain. Okay. Yeah, the pizza was amazing. All right, that's a shout out for a pizza joint. Maybe if we say that often enough, we might get sent free pizza. What do you think? Mm? Maybe if we say that often enough, if we like talk about enough restaurants in Berlin, we might get we might get sent some free uh, pizza. Yeah, I mean, we can ask them if they want a free <laughs> kind of free sponsoring our podcast. <laughs> hey, send us pizza. We'll talk about it on our podcast, our football podcast that has no relevance to your business whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, joining me, Ian McCourt, on today's One Football Podcast is Manu Dominguez. Hi, Ian. Hi, everyone. Uh, later on, we're going to have Mikael Leongsma talking Eredivisie, Porig Whelan talking about Celtic. Uh, but for now, it's just Manu. Um, <clears throat> just a reminder, in case you missed the last few episodes, we now have two One Football Podcasts. So if you like chips with too much vinegar and battered sausages drowning in ketchup, then Monday's Premier League podcast, hosted by Dan Burke, is right up your street. However... If you're into saffron, oysters, Iberico ham, then stay right here for your sophisticated European and world podcast hit. The email address remains the same, whichever podcast you want to get in touch with. It's podcast at onefootball.com. Uh, Manu, I had wanted to start talking about uh, Atletico Madrid and what's gone wrong there with them scoring six goals. But uh, Messi's given an exclusive interview and that's exactly where we have to start. Yeah, that's true. The news, the news are the news. Yeah, Messi gave an, an exclusive interview yesterday to to Diario Sport. It has been published today, and it seems that that the war is the war between Barcelona between Bartomeu and Messi is over, or at least that was the message that Messi want to want to communicate to all of the Barcelona fans. That yeah, he's gonna think this season in Barcelona. That he feels really sorry if there there are people that they think that he didn't behave well during the last during the last weeks. But yeah, he only actually he says that he was thinking on he was thinking in Barcelona and he wanna think he he wanna think on this season. And yeah, and yeah, let us say, I mean, actually his first performance was not was not the best one. People could realize that he he was not really fitting fitting on on the match. He was not focused on it. But but yeah. After these these quotes, at least we are going to have a calm start of the season for for Ronald Koeman. So, is he actually saying that he's wrong, or what he did was wrong? Yeah, he says no. He says actually that if there is, if there is some people that they think that uh, his behavior was wrong, or they are um, not happy with with what he what he did or what he said, he says that he feels sorry, but he was always thinking in, in Barcelona in the best for Barcelona. What, in my opinion, is not true because at the end he was thinking about leaving Barcelona. So, if you are thinking in your team and you are the best player in the world, you cannot say that yeah, I was doing this for Barcelona. It's it's, it's quite quite weird to understand. Mm. But yeah, I guess that what he want to say is to 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 go to the next chapter, forget everything that happened in the last in the last three four weeks, and and that's it. In my opinion, is the best for Barcelona. Now we will see what happened with the with the president with the elections, but but now Barcelona Barcelona and Ronald Koeman and all of the players they have they have to focus on on La Liga because they started this weekend and they have an, an important match on on Thursday in view. And did he mention uh, did he mention any clubs or anything like that? No, no, no. He didn't mention at all. He he only focused on on his his Instagram message uh, when Luis Suarez uh, decided to leave to Atlético de Madrid. Bueno, Barcelona decided Luis Suarez left to Atlético de Madrid, and 
that he's only focused on winning, that he's a winner, that he's gonna give his best, and that was especially the most the most important quote that we we could get from from Diario Sport. Okay. Right. And and the the Luis Suarez message, that was interesting because that was another uh, pop at the club, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, at the end, everyone knows that the relationship between Luis Suarez and Messi was, was really close. And especially the, the message in, in that quote from Lionel Messi was, I don't really be surprised how Barcelona, how Bartomeu are managing the thing. So it was kind of kind of direct message to, to Bartomeu that, that he's not happy with him. And yeah, but it's something that everyone knows. I mean, the relationship between between Bartomeu and Messi doesn't exist. That's why Messi wanted to to leave the club. But now, after this these quotes to to the Irish sport, at least let us say that he in Spain we used to say he hide the the sword. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to fight anymore. Okay, so we're gonna get a we're gonna get a calmer Messi. <laughs> Hopefully, I don't know if calmer, but at least at least he can provide the best level as he can. Eh? Was there any, just out of interest, was there any negative reaction to how Messi, um, from the fans, was there any negative reaction to how Messi behaved? Yeah, actually, yeah, I follow many Barcelona fans, many Barcelona journalists in my in my Twitter profile. Mm-hmm. And that's true that there were like two different waves of opinion. The ones that they say that Messi right, Messi tried to 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 force Bartomeu leaving the club. Messi is the one who is actually supporting this censura, this motion of censura, in order to 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 force Bartomeu leave leave, Bar- leave Barcelona. But there were another people that they were saying that actually Messi is the captain and his behavior is not helping at all. This new start with Ronald Koeman and what his colleagues they are gonna think when he say when he when he are gonna see him with the with the captain. Um, so, in my opinion, both of them are quite interesting. They they are both right in in some ideas, mm-hmm. but yeah, at the end, Messi stays. Messi is the number ten. Messi is actually the captain and the best player in Barcelona. So, it's better for everyone if everything remains calm and and we can see how how the this Ronald Koeman era starts because the first match was was promising, was really impressive. It's I guess that he deserves. I mean Ronald Koeman, he deserves one month, two months in order to work and try to prepare his team as as better as he can. Mm-hmm. You you say Messi is the best player in Barcelona, but uh, what about uh, Anzio Fati? Wow, Anzio Fati is a a big and really nice surprise for all of the Barcelona fans and actually for for all of the Spanish football fans. I mean, he's 17 years old. I mean, it's 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 really nice this 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 point. He could he couldn't get the best player of the match against Villarreal because he's he's underage. He's under 18 years old, and this this prize is given for a beer company. Ah. So, <laughs> so that gives us some context. What are we about? Who are we talking? He's a six, 17 years old. He's 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 a teenager, and he's already nine goals uh, in La Liga between uh, last season and this season. This season, this season, he has scored already twice against against Villarreal. And for example, for me, the most the most impressive thing is his his skills, his ability in front of the target, in front of the goal. I mean, this this stats says you everything. He has scored nine goals and he has shot sixteen times on target. Wow. So it's more than 60% of accuracy in front of the goal. 
Mm. I mean, this is actually what the people want, what the, what the big teams want to pay. They are spending money for guys that they have this easy way in order to scoring goals. And Ansu Fati, with 17 years old, he has already showed that he has not problem at all in front of the goalkeepers. Uh, is he a product of, uh, does he come from La Masia? Yeah, he comes from La Masia. He, oh, yeah. uh, he arrived to Barcelona when he was 13 years old. He was playing in one small team in, in Andalusia. Uh, and and yeah, since he's 13 years old, he started to play in La Masia. For example, he was sharing the team with uh, Take Kubo, the current Villarreal player who is on loan from Real Madrid. They were playing the same team. Mm. And yeah, and actually he's the, the best value that Barcelona has in, in his academy. Mm. So he, he was the star of the show in the 4-0 win over, over Villarreal. Um, what, what did you make of Barcelona's uh, overall performance? Because they, they set up really without a recognised number nine. Yeah, they play with Messi as false number nine again. Mm. After so many years, Messi was was playing in that position. Uh, for me, the, the biggest change, of course, was the was the formation. Barcelona changed this four three three for this four four two three one with really high pressure. Especially Barcelona was more vertical. I mean, he was not trying only to keep the possession with horizontal passes. That was for me the big difference between this. Kuman Barcelona from Valverde's or, or Kikisetien's Barcelona, but still we are talking about only the first match and even Villarreal didn't perform didn't perform well. But mm. the biggest difference for me was like Ansu Fati uh, as winger opening the game, opening the field, understanding amazingly, amazingly well the the match because, for example, he was giving a lot of chances to Jordi Alba to 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 run in 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 this left uh, left position, and then. Another point that, in my opinion, was was quite interesting was that it was uh, Frankie de Jong, the one who was at the beginning of the. Manu. Hi, Jan. Hey, you're back. Hey, yeah. What did it happen? I have, no, I have no idea. But you were wow. you were, you were talking about Frankie de Jong. Yeah, it was yeah that Frankie de Jong was demanding the the first ball uh, instead of Sergio Busquets. That actually was the, the the way of doing during the last I don't know ten years. Always Busquets being kind of third back defender in order to 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 start the the the, the action with with the ball. But now it was Frankie de Jong the one who was doing asking the ball to Lenglet or to Gerard Piquet and starting every Barcelona's offensive action. So it was a. a point that make a difference between what we used to see in Barcelona Barcelona's games. And this is direct orders from Kuman, I imagine, who wants to build a side around. Uh, yeah, Kuman Kuman he was the national team coach from from Frankie de Jong in in Netherlands and he always say that the way that Frankie de Jong was playing last year with Kike Setien and Ernesto Valverde was not the right one, at least it was his opinion that Frankie de Jong is the player who used who should start uh, with the action who should demand the ball and and let us say move the team. And and that's what what he did. I mean, Sergio Busquets try to to be high, maybe a little bit um, more forward than than Frankie De Jong, and it was a big change because we were we were used to see Sergio Busquets having the ball. I don't know. 50-60% of the Barcelona offensive actions and now it's Frankie de Jong he's fresh he's more vertical he's not only playing horizontal mm. and in my opinion it could be a, a good a good way to see some change in Barcelona way of, of attacking What did you make of uh, Coutinho's performance? Any signs he sort of fits in better with that Barca system than the than the previous one? Yeah actually 
I didn't see a Coutinho doing an impressive performance. Oh. I have read in the newspapers the day after, hey, Coutinho did it well, Coutinho is fitting again. In my opinion, uh, the, the reminds that I have about Coutinho is this Coutinho that it was he was impressive in Anfield, that he was one of the top five players in the world. Mm. And I have not seen him yet for, for three years. Even he didn't he, he didn't performing well in in Germany and and now I expect too much too much I mean my, my expectations are, they are really high but yeah that's true that he played as kind of number ten back back Leo Messi he he did very well in the second in the second goal in second Ansu Fati's goal but still in my opinion I, I need more from him because he's he's an amazing an amazing football player Barcelona spent I guess it was 150 million euros for him probably mm -hmm. it's not his value but let us say that everything came after name as the part and the market was was how it was but yeah but my expectations are, are higher and I expect I expect more from him what were your expectations for Luis Suarez's debut did you expect uh, did you expect to do as, for him to do as well as he did yeah actually actually I, I did I mean I don't want to sound like yeah of course you did I mean, everyone knows that I'm a really, really Suarez fan, and in my opinion, he's one of the best uh, strikers in the world, even now with 32, 33 years old. There is one thing that he's never going to forget, and he's scoring goals. He has scored, scored goals everywhere, and especially if Atletico de Madrid give him the chance to be on the goal, in front of the goal, he's going to score this season, I don't know, 20, 25, 30 goals, of course. I mean, I mean for me... Simeone must be really happy mm. because even I didn't think so in his dreams he could consider that he was going to have a, a striker like like Luis Suarez in his team this season. Mm. He must be really happy with uh, Joao Felix, who probably had his best performance for the club so far. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Joao Felix, actually we couldn't see both together, at least not long, because I, I mean, Luis Suarez entered from enter and he shared the team with with Joe Felix nothing I guess mm -hmm. but but yeah I have to say that Luis Suarez against Red Bull Leipzig for example he was on the bench but when he entered he showed that he's a player with uh, Simeone must to build a team around mm. I mean last season was the first uh, last season was his first season of course period of adaption he came from Portugal he's still he's 20 years old but but yeah against Granada he already showed hey, I'm here I'm gonna be the number 10, even if if I'm not wearing the number 10 in my t-shirt, I'm going to be the, the, the player who Atletico de Madrid should, should, should play around. And now he has an amazing member of in, in his team than, than Luis Suarez. I actually really impressive about this connection. I'm looking forward to, to seeing them together because, in my opinion, they could be like the best couple in La Liga. Oh, well, I was looking forward to seeing Diego Costa and Luis Suarez on the same team, but it feels like Diego Costa might be on his way out of the club. Yeah, the reports they are saying that Diego Costa after after the match against Granada, uh, the journalist asking him about his future, and he says that he really loves Atlético de Madrid, and because of he loves Atlético de Madrid, he's gonna accept what Atlético de Madrid decides with him. Uh, if Atlético de Madrid decides to sell him, he wouldn't have any problem to leave. And in the last days, I have heard that John Terry has contacted with him in order to join Aston Villa. Really? Like some? Yeah, I mean John Terry post uh, a comment, uh, an Instagram story or an Instagram uh, uh, post from Diego Costa saying him come back to England or we miss you or whatever. And Diego Costa j just said him like, okay, bring me with you. So there is already this this feeling around, but actually Diario has, he has uh, published this morning that 
PSG even is is thinking about Diego Costa to to replace to replace Chopomotin and, and Edison Cavani because both both lead the team. Mm-hmm. So we will see what happens with Diego Costa. In my opinion, Atletico de Madrid only would sell Diego Costa in case that Cavani is gonna is gonna join the team because otherwise. Simeone has only Luis Suarez as, as number nine, Morata left. We mm. are talking about Correa, who is not a striker. Joe Felix, who is not a striker, only Luis Suarez. So we will see what happens with Diego Costa, but it's going to be something connected with, with Edison Cavani. How likely that Cavani comes back, do you think? Actually, why not? I mean, he's, he's free. He has been on talks with Atletico de Madrid since January. He fits perfectly with Simeone's idea. He fits perfectly with the Spanish La Liga. He's from South America. And now Luis Suarez is there. I mean, imagine what, mm-hmm. imagine the idea to have Luis, uh, Diego Pablo Simeone with Edison Cavani, Luis Suarez, and Joe Felix in the attack. I mean, we are talking about the best attack in La Liga. That's sorry pretty- for Berzema, sorry for Leo Messi and Ansu Fati, but Nowadays, better three names that Luis Suarez, Cavani, and Joe Felix we cannot find in in the Spanish competition. That's some, that's some big words, Manu. Some very big words. Uh, uh, so wins for Atletico, wins for Barca, wins for Real Madrid, but not easy for them against uh, against Ten Man Betis. Yeah, not true. Actually, they had the the opportunity to to watch the game because it, there was the, the the birthday of our our friend Philip Costa. So I only uh, could, I only could follow the the match from through our favorite football app, One Football. And what I see at the end was three two. Sergio Ramos scoring a penalty. VAR again again being protagonist. So I mean. Every day it seems like we are we are living the same day, no? I mean, no, I mean, no uh, just joking. Uh, as far as I know, Real Madrid was not playing amazingly, but yeah, it was a, an important opponent. Real Betis is a good team, even if they lost yesterday against Getafe with Manuel Pellegrini. They have amazing players: Sergio Canales, Nabil Fekir, Borja Iglesias, Loren Morón. And at the end, Real Madrid won because Real Madrid is that is. That is the Real Madrid, the essence of Real Madrid winning. They they are winning even if they don't don't performing they doesn't they don't performing well. So mm. so actually, uh, Sergio Ramos scoring, scoring, and scoring. Uh, Tony Cross did an, did an amazing match, but he got injured. I guess he's gonna be like a couple of weeks out. And now Real Madrid plays today against Valladolid. Easy game at home after getting four points in the first two matches. I don't think so. They will have problems against Valladolid, but but we will see what happens with Real Madrid because at the end, not signs, only Odegaard. Odegaard is not even performing as good as, as people expected, but of course it's his first season, let us say, because before he played when he was 17 years old. Looking forward to, to seeing this La Liga because, in my opinion, there are going to be more than two possibilities. I mean, Atletico is going to be already there, and and Sevilla already show, showed against Bayern de Munich that is an, a, a really tough team with with Julian Lopetegui and keeping the best the best names: uh, mm-hmm. Julius Kunde, Lucas Ocampos, Diego Carlos. So maybe we're going to have an exciting La Liga this this season. Uh, yeah, two two points I would make about the Madrid game. Uh, if you haven't seen the penalty from Ramos, go out and check that out. That's, that's quite a nice penalty. I was also there was a nice quote from Pellegrini afterwards who said, "Playing against Real Madrid VAR and a red card all at the same time is difficult." <laughs> yeah, we cannot we cannot forget the Pellegrini's experience in Real Madrid. Mm. I mean, actually, 
always joking. I try. I used to say the same. Everyone knows that I like. I like more Barcelona than Real Madrid. I don't think so that VAR is going to help one team or another one. They try to take decisions. Actually, some of the decisions that they are taking, they are difficult to understand because at the end they are watching the same images that, that we watch. And we don't really understand the, 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 the criteria. Why this is going to be penalty? Why this is not going to be penalty? Every week, every weekend they are changing. And that's really, really desperate to, to for, for the football fans because, I mean... You wanna you wanna a fair competition. You wanna a fair game, and actually with the VAR, I'm starting to think that it's not so fair as it was before. Because before everyone could accept that the referee could have a mistake because he's a human being and, mm-hmm. and he only has the option to watch a, an image and an action one time. And even for us, it's difficult to do it with the repetitions. But now with the VAR, you have the television there. I mean, the criteria the criteria must be clearer more clear because because these these situations they are frustrating people like Manuel Pellegrini or 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 maybe the next day is going to be Zinedine Zidane so who knows mm. uh, there is a random midweek fixtures uh, today and tomorrow um, anything we should be looking out for yeah of course of course with without hesitations Ian I I hope that you don't forget to to watch on Thursday Celta de Vigo my lovely Celta de Vigo against Barcelona <laughs> half past nine in, in Europe half I'm past booked in, in I'm UK. booked in Mano don't worry I'll be there I'm, I'm I mean, watching it we don't, we don't have so many often the option to see the best two number tens in, in La Liga no? Messi <laughs> against Iago Aspas again so it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be nice <laughs> ok lovely thanks Manu you're welcome Ian now, another league is up and running in the shape of the Eredivisie, so here to talk to us about that is a very old friend of the pod in the shape of Optin Number Guru, Miguel Youngsma. Good day, Ian. How are you doing? Great. So nice to have you back on. It's been so long. Yeah, it's been years, isn't it? It has been years, but you were you were there back when we were back when we were nothing. I mean, we're still nothing, but you know. You're yeah, well, I mean, we've both grown into adult men. Pod has grown with it. <laughs> that's it's it's nice of you to think of me as an adult. That's, that's very kind, <laughs> very kind of you. Uh, before we before we delve too deep into the into league matters, uh, I did want to talk about the national team because Kuman's gone. Frank de Boer is in. How, given his poor record at club level, I mean, we saw it Inter and, and Crystal Palace. How does he how does he keep getting jobs? Well, I think I mean um, whether it's a slip of the tongue or or or, um, or an actual pun, Frank de Boer kind of uh, works well into the way he plays with his teams, isn't it? Like it's not that, that sparkling <laughs> Dutch Dutch football that you'd like to associate with uh, with the the Oranje. But I think in in general, it's it's uh, the lack of options at the moment. Like you've got you've got a, a tournament in in a year, so people don't really want to take a lot of risks. Uh, taking exotic choices is a bit tough. The market for Dutch managers is is a bit uh, wild at the moment because you've got a few in a really good job in. Uh, Peter Boz, uh, Ronald Koeman, obviously now as well. Uh, Erik ten Hag is one uh, who has a high-profile job, and they're not really that keen on on, on swapping those jobs for anything. And uh, I think in general, just getting a good, attractive young manager is tough as well. Uh, do they do they have the uh, authority? Do they have the background as a player to to assert their uh, authority as well? And um, in general, like. <laughs> 
it's a, I think in, in the end it's a, it's a payday thing as well. Like, I mean, the kind of manager you'd like to see is maybe a guy like uh, Carlo Ancelotti who's a really good man manager. But apart from if you think it's prestigious enough, like the Dutch FA are not going to stump up seven or eight million uh, euros a year for, for a national team manager. I think you should probably think at around uh, maybe a quarter of that and then you end up with a guy like Frank de Boer who uh, who says he's learned from his mistakes who um, who hasn't been uh, successful at all in the last few years but who has a good a good track record from from earlier last decade uh, and I think they're quite hopeful that he'll just well just continue what Ronald Koeman has has been uh, working on for the last couple of years and not do anything funny with the squad more than anything what was the what was the reaction to to the boys appointment was it all a bit meh? or or was was at least was at least one person excited I don't think many people were excited, but I think one thing that is quite telling is that some of the um, well, some of the well, old guard, almost you would say, uh, that are that have just been uh, retired, guys like Wesley Snyder and, and people like that, have been really, um, really positive about him. So I mean, he he when he was a captain at the Dutch national team, it seems like he, like he actually did get a lot of uh, respect from his players over there. Uh, so and again, that boils down to the whole uh, authority thing, uh, I think. And it's it it is kind of tough because when you um, when you consider the other options, it's like well, which other options? Basically, there are not a lot of options at this point. Uh, there has been a there has been uh, some commotion and uh, around them going for another uh, white manager again. Uh, whereas uh, some 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 people in, in the black community with with Ruud and, and a few others uh, have been quite vocal that they feel like a, a guy like Henk Ten Kater should at least have been interviewed because the the whole process has been a bit funny. They've they've asked uh, Peter Bos like, "Are you available?" And he said, "Well, I'm not available," which is a bit of a different question to "Do you want to become Dutch national coach?" Uh, and I think they 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 did ask Frank Rijkaard, I think. Uh, but it was quite clear that he would not be open to it anyway because he's been retired for for years. Uh, so it it kind of felt like maybe asking people for the sake of it rather than actually uh, trying to conduct um, some interviews, and uh, that hasn't really gone down well. But I think in general people kind of accept that with one year. Uh, left for the Euros, not even like it's like eight nine months. Mm. Uh, it, it is tough to find a really good manager. And before Kuman was uh, announced, there there was actually um, uh, quite some excitement because people thought that the Dutch FA would go for Jorge Sampaoli. So that I mean that would have been an inspired choice by now as well. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean we'll have to we'll have to make do with. Uh, with well, good old solid from the board, we hope. Um, I I did want to ask you about how the return of fans is going in, in the Eredivisie because when I was watching the highlights over the weekend, I saw I saw a few back, but uh, I I feel like it's been pulled back recently, hasn't it? There's been there's been new restrictions put in place. Yeah, it, I mean, I think in, in general it, it it all went really well. Uh, I've actually been to the stadium myself as well a few times. I think the distancing went well. Stewards were in place to just uh, tell you to sit down whenever you uh, basically stood up and saw someone familiar and, and had a little chat, even though uh, you had some distance in between it. So in general, I think uh, I think over 100 games have been played with uh, with an audience, um, and 
there's only been one or two incidents. One was at Feyenoord where they felt the crowd was coming uh, a bit too close to each other. And one was actually not even in the stadium. It was at Willem II uh, where um, the mayor had allowed people to watch the Rangers game in the Europa League qualifiers together. Mm-hmm. And that turned out to be a bit of a mess because uh, nearly a thousand people came together on a fairly crowded <laughs> parking lot uh, so i mean but apart from that like in in general it's, it's it's been going really well there's been quite some criticism as well that they're pulling it back at the moment uh the uh club doctor of finer is actually conducting research to see if this the, these football games are actually the super spreaders that people claim they are um so yeah i mean it's just been announced two days ago that for the for the next three weeks no no games will be uh, allowed to to host uh, any any people uh so yeah it's 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 a step back and it's not really clear why it has to be football related more than anything uh but yeah i mean the 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 uh, the infection surge in everywhere basically so i mean to an extent you have to respect respect it for what it is but yeah most of us uh, most of us won't have been to a game in a long time and obviously not one in such a situation um what does it feel like is it is it as odd as it looks um i don't i don't think it's uh, as odd as it looks i mean i i was quite skeptical uh to be honest uh, because as you say like you do feel like it's, you could go to to a cinema like like watch a, a movie that's really unpopular and have the same feeling like just no <laughs> no people around you just everyone's spread over all the roads uh but in general i mean the the personal contact is a bit different especially when you're uh used to going with friends who are not part of your household because you can sit together with your household so if you if you've got a family and you all have season tickets it's it's not really an issue um but uh yeah i mean it's 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 a bit of a it's a bit of an adventure i would almost almost say they the club has to work out how they will handle these kind of things uh, i think the restrictions that they put in place were actually spot on they had built a, a rota so that the people on the uh, uh, that would sit below would come in first and would leave last and the other way around for for the ring above that. So they had been really thinking about it. Well, I mean, we were not allowed to clap or or yell or sing or whatever, uh, but to an extent, I think that's that's almost impossible to stop, and there will always be some kind of atmosphere and it's I mean in the end it does feel like a better alternative than to have just a completely empty stadium and I think when you've been watching uh, Bundesliga or Premier League or, 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 or Syria in uh, in June and July e- even just sitting there with a few thousand people is, is quite a relief I would almost say to it feels like a step back to normality but yeah I mean that for the next three weeks we'll have to make do with uh, empty stadiums again uh, so far perfect starts for Ajax and, and Heronvain Ajax you might have expected it maybe not so for Heronvain given they finished 10th last season uh, what, what's changed for them? <laughs> Well, um, Heerenveen is a is a is a funny story. Many people had tipped them to be relegation candidates before, <laughs> before the season started because they had lost all of their games in preseason. Uh, so they they looked really really awful, just a complete lack of structure. They couldn't bring any players in. Uh, Heerenveen, uh, like some other clubs, uh, have had a bit of a downfall over the last few seasons. Uh, they used to be like a, a, a fairly cuddly club in the Netherlands, like oh the 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 cute Heerenveen people 
people that that play that play in a small village and that get all the superstars in uh, like John Dal Thomas and stuff like that. Uh, but that Cully image is no more, and um, they've seen uh, like the finances dropped, turnovers dropped, attendance dropped, and uh, it's all it all accumulated into a situation where they had to sell uh, their top players this summer, uh, and were just very anxious if they even could get someone in. Uh, in the end, they did get the f- get a few people in. Um, probably uh, most notably Oliver Batista Meyer from uh, Bayern. They got on loan. Uh, got some other players in. Hank Fehrman from uh, San Pauli, um, and that has been uh, they, they, that has been the catalyst for their success. And they look really comfortable all of a sudden. Just. Uh, been a bit lucky with the teams that they've played as well, I think, because mm. um, especially Fortuna Sittard and VVV haven't looked brilliant, whereas Willem II, uh, who finished uh, fifth, I think, last season, were uh, were still well, not 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 in great shape to say say the least. But it, it has been impressive, and uh, well, all all credit should go to their technical director because the, the squad that they have seems quite good. They they are still pursuing some other targets. Um, if they get injuries, they'll have a problem. And uh, the absolute sensation they've had uh, has been Joey Fehrman, who's a, a a midfielder, very creative. And there's some severe interest at the moment, so they're really scared that he'll leave somewhere in the next few days to Southampton or maybe to La Liga, um, um, even though he uh, signed a new contract this summer without a release clause. So they'll have to pay up for him. And how much would the uh, how much would he be costing? Do you think? Well, I mean, they saw they they sold uh, Ejuke, uh, a Nigerian winger, for. Uh, uh, 12 million euros to Seska Moscow and that kind of has allayed their financial fears uh, so for this one they can go even uh, above that so it will be at least 12 to 13 million which is uh, that's a spectacular job by him Vane, who have a knack for selling players for a good price um, So Ajax like I said three wins from three um, what have you made of the new boys in, in Mohamed Kudos and Anthony De Santos they seem to be the, the headline grabber so far Yeah and it must be said like for Heeren Vane you feel like like those three wins came quite naturally and at Ajax I would say that they've actually started quite a bit in their most recent game they played Vitesse who have been really impressive so far uh, and I would say that Vitesse would have at least deserved a point from that game but uh, as you as you mentioned like Mohamed Kudus and um, Anthony were actually uh, two of the standout players in that game for Ajax again um, Ajax who played uh, part of the game with uh, 10 men uh, and in the end it was a Kudus assist that set Anthony up for the winner <laughs> so um, yeah narrative galore I would almost say but they've, <laughs> they've slotted in really well especially Kudus has been a big fan favorite so far uh, Anthony seems to be uh, he doesn't have the flair of Hakim Ziyech yet but who who has who has uh, yeah yeah <laughs> so uh, but he he is definitely weighing in with important goals and his movement is really good and I mean both of those players already seem like like just brilliant pieces of scouting and uh, the luck for a club like Ajax at this point is that they don't even have to scout that well because their reputation is preceding them like if they show interest clubs will see it as a step up to uh, to a top club and in, in that sense I think uh, Ajax can can just go to well, the Danish league Brazilian league n- name it um, and say well if you do well at our club we'll bring you to 
clubs like Juventus and Barcelona, and that's just a huge draw. I mean, why take the risk of going to uh, a mid-table Premier League side and uh, will get relegated? Because because that's the kind of thing that does happen. Mm. And and you can, uh, I mean, Ajax like the stepping stone so for so many great players throughout Europe and throughout European football history. Yeah, conti- continues all the time. Yeah, and and I mean that they've they've done really well in feeding that narrative. And it might have been, might have gone overboard a bit here and there by uh, well cuddling up to that image. Um, I mean the Donny van de Beek uh, Manchester United transfer and van der Sar with an open letter saying, "Oh, we're so happy he goes there." And <laughs> it, you know that kind of stuff is, is a is a bit cringy. But on the other hand, like you, uh, I think a lot of football clubs don't realize that players that want to go come to your club have to have the perspective of being able to move to an even better club uh, once once they've done well at your team and uh, Ajax are really aware of that and that's how they uh, keep pulling in great players and like uh, Van de Beek is a great example where they um, where, where they might have uh, gotten even even more at one point but you would have ended up with a frustrated player and this, this is the way for them to just um, take care of that and uh, preserve their image more than anything uh, You mentioned Ajax's well, well you suggested that the stuttering start to this season same could be said for uh, PSV yeah yeah absolutely but I think PSV have uh, I mean they they drew against Herakas Almelo which was an unwelcome uh, uh, result for them uh, in general though they've they've done some really interesting business they got Roger Smitten uh, from uh, from China uh, who, who is, is a familiar name in, in, in European football obviously with his um, work at Leverkusen and most notably I think his work at Salzburg where mm. his team actually pre- played incredible um, and I, I mean the fact that PSV have managed to get him has been just spectacular. I think in, in the Netherlands, no one expected a, a coach like Roger Schmidt to settle for a team like uh, PSV. Um, but they got him, and now he's making his mark in terms of playing style. You can see that they're they're really organized. They're 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 eager to press, and um, even in in terms of the players that they've been able to bring in, it's quite incredible. They've signed Philip Max from uh, from from Mainz, uh, who from Mainz, no, from Augsburg. Uh, either either of them yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) um for some reason those those two teams feel fairly interchangeable but that's because they play in red and white i suppose (laughs) uh but yeah i mean philip max was wasn't was not a player that a team like psv would be able to to attain if if he wasn't there uh they've signed even mfogo from uh from leipzig on loan and they've brought in uh, Ibrahim Sangare, who was chased by half of the Premier League, I think, to uh, beef up the midfield a bit. And that, I mean, PSV might stutter a bit, but I think that they will be the main challengers for the title for Ajax because the quality that they have is is quite obvious. They've got, apart from the more established players that they've signed, they've got some worldly talents in uh, Daniel Malen and uh, Mohamed Iataran as well. Um, and it, I mean, it, it might be a challenge for Roger Schmidt to, to fit them all in, but they will definitely be well top top three. But I would say they're they're locked in for the top two. Given how famously. Uh the Netherlands and Germany love each other uh, it's nice to see how German managers are getting embraced in their Eredivisie because Schmidt's not the only one who's, who's in there there's two more right? 
Yeah, you've got Frank Warmuth at Heracles, and he's, he, he used to be at, at the uh, German FA for, for quite a bit, and he's he's been doing brilliantly since taking over at Heracles. He's been getting a lot of uh, kudos for that as well, and, and rightly so. Uh, and um, apart from that, you've got uh, you've got Lech and Vitesse, and they've been they've been just flying out of the blocks. Look, look a really interesting side, and as I mentioned before, should have gotten a result against Ajax, and they've won their first two uh, uh, league games of the season already. So they look really well prepared to uh yeah to to well assert their authority i'd almost say in terms of coaching because that's i mean the, the german way is is what the dutch way was i suppose and even for a, a manager like erik ten Hag, you can quite clearly see that there's been some influence from his time uh, at fc Bayern too as well uh so yeah i mean the, the there's a genuine love in going in going on there as well uh and uh, you even see it in terms of coaching staff and technical directors and stuff like that because they've brought in uh, uh quite a few uh uh, quite a few people within clubs as well. No, most notably, actually, the technical director at Vitesse. Um, so it's a very interesting development, and it's 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 quite funny when you think of it. Uh, I think it was only a couple of decades ago that the German uh, the German FA would visit the Dutch clubs to see why the Dutch clubs were ahead and were were now backtracking and watching what the Germans are doing. How <laughs> times have changed. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of the Netherlands, their neighbours and interesting developments, uh, there was a lot of talk earlier in the year about uh, the Netherlands and the Belgium, the Belgian league wanting to merge. Where do things stand with that? Is that a reality or was that just uh, some sort of dream talk? Um, I I don't think it will happen that quickly, to be honest. Uh, I, I mean, there there have been ongoing conversations, uh, but in the end, there are some contracts in terms of TV rights and stuff that need to be uh, yeah that, that need to be uh, upheld before they can do anything. So it will be at least a few years. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, there's always been that that kind of talk. It's been going on for for three decades by now, I think. Um, and in the end, yeah, clubs seem to be quite hesitant on actually uh, pushing it through. To be fair, you do have at the moment you do have like six clubs in the Netherlands that are quite keen on on pushing this development, um, uh, namely uh, the 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 original top three in Ajax, Space, Fe, Feyenoord, and you've got um, uh, Utrecht. AZ and Vitesse, which is basically the fixed top six of the last few years. Mm. Um, but if I mean, you could make a case that 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 is quite artificial because Vitesse and Utrecht are uh, <laughs> being uh, upheld by their owners uh, who pump in millions, and AZ have have to sell quite a lot of players to be financially viable. So it's not like these are the actual like biggest six clubs of the country. Uh, so there's quite a lot of um, backlash from teams like Twente, for example, Groningen, Heerenveen, who originally have uh, just as big a, um, a fan base as well. So I, I don't think it's going to happen that quickly. I don't think a lot of people are are that keen on making away trips that will last like well, well, 10-hour round trips and that kind of stuff. So mm. we'll see how, how it develops. Okay, uh, anything else before uh, before we let you go? Well, I mean, I, I suppose people are quite curious to see how, how our big bald fella is doing uh, in Groningen with Arjen Robben mm. uh, making his comeback. Um, and um, as things stand, I mean, quite quite in typical fashion, he was... He was um, 
he was injured uh, in his first game for the club, uh, and uh, but he's working on his comeback. So don't count him out yet. We might see some spectacular, typical cutting and dribbles uh, and long range shots somewhere soon. It's what we're all hoping for, isn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's it is it is quite a romantic story. I, I think it's 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 almost unprecedented to see a superstar of his uh, size come back to his boyhood club when you consider that his boyhood club in reputation is actually probably smaller than the club himself uh, there has been some 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 backlash on, on on his return here in the Netherlands where they feel like well uh, you're, you're turning into a club that's basically only Robin more than your own club identity which is quite harsh I think I think the dynamic between the the player and the region itself is a bit different um, but it is fascinating to see and I mean, we've, we've, we've already seen some of his uh, magic here and there because you can still see that he's a, he's a fantastic player, um, albeit a bit slower than he used to be. Uh, but it will be interesting to see if he can actually uh, will light up the Eredivisie once more. It's a, it, it is a romantic story, and um, yeah, pe- people are, are, are watching with, uh, well, expectation, I would almost say. Next time you on, uh, next time we have you on, we're gonna have to talk about the top five Dutch players of all time. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we've we've had that discussion. We've before. had the discussion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's um, yeah. From a personal point of view, being a, being a Groningen born, there's there's no way I can count him out. Obviously. Well, there's, uh, but there's too many. We're, we 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 have to give this proper time. I think we'll, we'll we'll give it proper time one day. We'll sit down and do it. But most definitely, that's that's that might be one of the toughest ones of all time. So, as part of the new approach, each week we're going to talk to a friend of the pod about their club, how they picked the team, the history, the greatest moments, the greatest players, and of course look at some of the issues around the club today. Last week we had Joanna Bueno on uh, to talk through Flamengo. This time around we take a trip to sunny Scotland, the, the climate of the north, to talk to, uh, to Porg Whelan about Celtic. Yeah, mate, as well there. Uh. The Brazil, the, the Brazil of Europe. The I Brazil think. of Europe. Uh, yeah. Now, growing up for me, Porik, um, I didn't have a choice. If you grew up at a certain part of Ireland with a certain yeah. family from somewhere, you just supported Celtic. It wasn't even a question. There was, unusually, there was a guy, I, so I grew up in an estate and there was one guy on my estate whose nickname was Funko and I've no reason, I've no idea why his name was Funko, but he was also uh, Catholic and Irish and from a certain area and he supported Rangers and he's the only person I've ever no known. Way. I know, right? This is ridiculous. He's the only person I've ever known Known and other than other people I've met on maybe on Twitter that who supported Rangers in this way. Well, that's that is bizarre actually because yeah, like you were saying, you you didn't really get a choice depending on um, where you're from in like Scotland or Ireland or mm-hmm. who your family are or mm-hmm. sometimes even what religion I guess you are. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. So that's that's, 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 a, that's a new one on me. I've the closest I've came and there was two guys I knew growing up. There was two brothers that one of them supported Celtic and one of them supported Rangers and then. I think the season before Celtic won the treble in like 2000 the Celtic supporting brother decided he was going to join his big brother and he was he was going to commit to, oh, to Rangers no. so yeah you can pretty much trace that to their decline actually so that, that poor guy <laughs> that poor guy uh, so what it was the same for you then it was it just wasn't a choice it was just automatic I was given the kit and that was it yeah pretty much I like uh, my 
mum and dad uh, are both like massive Celtic. Like they literally met um, at a like Celtic supporters convention thing. So even like without Celtic, the two of them wouldn't have met each other. Um, they say that a particularly raucous game might have led to me even coming along, <laughs> which I thought was too much information. A certain equaliser in a derby one day, which I didn't really want to know about. But uh, yeah, so for me, it was it was the same. Uh, so Celtic is life. Celtic pretty is, much, yeah. Celtic is literally quite, quite life. literally, yeah, quite literally <laughs> life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I would have I would have grown up uh, when Celtic were. You, like early 90s when Celtic weren't so successful um, but I think it might have been a little bit different for you I think you got a couple of more glory years yeah like when I started going it would have been like at like the time you were mentioning like in the 90s Celtic were were bad like the club almost um, went under in like 94 mm. the, like Rangers won nine league titles in a row they, they didn't have any money to spend the players were like really poor so like I started going then but I was obviously I was like far too young to really remember it like my kind of first proper memories kind of come from when Celtic actually um, stopped that run of like uh, Rangers winning nine leagues in a row so that's kind I've got like some memories before that like my first like Celtic hero that I loved was Pierre Van Heidel. Oh, um yeah, he wow. was he was like my first football hero, and like mm-hmm. like Celtic, Celtic did have some good teams then as well, which was weird. Like they had a team that had him, Cadetti, and Decanio up front. You'll probably remember that mm, one. They or like played played some of the best football Celtic have ever played. They only like lost one game all season and still um, still didn't win the league, which shows you how. How tough it kind of was, but yeah, it was. Uh, that was that was quite a tough time. Thankfully, I've kind of just about missed all the all the bad stuff. <laughs> uh, so, for those who don't know much about the club, um, can you give us a brief history lesson on it? Yeah. Um, so, Celtic were obviously. I think when people you kind of mention it even to neutrals, the kind of first thing they go to is like the Irish connection, I guess, and that's because the club was founded by uh, an Irish priest from Sligo, who then went over to Glasgow and basically set the club up to feed um, the poor, poor like Irish community who quite struggled a lot then, and kind of, I suppose kind of almost still do now in parts of Scotland. But at that time, it was particularly bad, like poverty and and stuff in the east end of Glasgow so Celtic were essentially set up to, as like a charitable foundation to um, feed and clothe and help out the, the poor um, in Glasgow and so that was in 1888 and then it just kind of slowly but surely started to started to spiral they became successful and kind of kicked on pretty much a lot since since then, but that's that's how the club kind of came about. Obviously, it was a, a kind of charitable um, foundation, which is quite nice. And uh, for those who may not know, obviously, Rangers are obviously the biggest, you know, the biggest rival, uh, you might say. I'm not even sure it may even go beyond rivalry. Uh, yeah, but uh, has that always been the way or, or, or how was it? I mean, certainly for me and in my living memory, it's always been the way. Well, it used to be, and then if you'll remember in 2012, um, 
it kind of wasn't like that anymore. Because some people would uh, would quite argue that that it's not even like that anymore. A lot of people don't even recognise the derby as as what it used to be. So, like people who don't know, yeah, like Rangers was always the the massive rivalry, the massive derby, and then two thousand and twelve, the club went bust for um, for unpaid like tax bills. They ran up mm. crazy amounts of money that they owed. They done for a few other things they had players on side contracts and this kind of thing which um, hasn't led to um, any titles being taken away from them much to my disappointment Ian. but uh, <laughs> yes then when they went went worse than 2012 and it was a blissful blissful four or five years I have to say blissful four or five years without them but um, this there is a there is a new incarnation and um, Back to, back to annoy us now. With Stevie G in charge, of course. With yeah, with with Stephen Gerrard, a man. Well, I don't want to tempt fate, so I'm I'm not gonna. I'll, I'm gonna stop myself in my tracks there. Um, let's talk about the top three moments in the history. Uh, I'm guessing number one is 1967. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That was you're gonna. You're gonna have to fill people yeah, in because that, that that only means something to yeah to certain to, people. to certain, yeah exactly. So that was the year that Celtic won our first and sadly only um, European Cup or Champions League as it's known now. Uh, but the the kind of special thing about that team, and I don't, I think like especially the way football is now, you're you're never going to see it again. Was that every player in the Celtic starting lineup that day all were born within 30 miles of the stadium itself which is just like crazy when you see like the they beat like a really really strong uh, inter team in the final and they had players from like South America and the best players kind of from around Europe and Italy that that they had to offer in their team and then there was just these <coughs> excuse me 11 guys who pretty much grew up in or around Glasgow who obviously really talented players in it um, coached by Jock Steen who's like the the greatest manager um, in Celtic history who just played this really attacking innovative kind of football for its time where just it was kind of it was almost like total football before it was that kind of before it got that moniker where he had his full backs were just playing as other strikers it was like it was essentially a four-two-four formation they played, but it was almost it was almost like two-two-six because the fullbacks would just get on uh, get on forward that high. So it was a really kind of innovative way of playing for the time. And yeah, they won uh, they won the the European Cup, which is still it's still talked about today. It's still sang about today. Everyone still worships all the all the players. Um, from that team even now and unfortunately they did get to the final again um, a few years later and the kind of the shoe was in the other foot where Celtic were like the big underdogs in that one not expected to win and won and then they played Feyenoord three years later where it was kind of Celtic were almost expected to win and um, yeah unfortunately came up yeah. Short in that one, but Be- beating well, two, beating two one at the San Siro. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so Milan, Milan's got good and bad kind of memories for us. But I mean, there's a lot of massive clubs in the world who've never won it, so it's quite nice to to kind of have that over over some clubs who, like Man City, PSG, like these kind of clubs who've pumped crazy money. Not 
like to criticise them or anything, but just these clubs who are the money that they're spending trying to kind of chase this this trophy that we've got in the bag and that cost pretty much nothing. It assembles quite quite nice. There's a couple a couple of things from those uh, from the Lisbon Lions. There's no way anything like that. Um, could happen again like a whole team being born within 30 miles of Glasgow yeah that's, that's it's just, just insane yeah. there's no way you could ever do that again like to, to do that and to beat the the pretty famous Cantonaccio of, of Inter at that time who were who were Italy's top club and yeah. you know a really professional proper league yeah. not not that Scotland wasn't but they were they were the league it's just amazing and of course Jock Steen arguably I mean every Alex Ferguson, obviously Scotland's best ever manager, but Jock's needs something of a mentor for Ferguson. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. So I think you can you can get plenty of interviews from Alex Ferguson where he kind of he does say that like he wouldn't have been wouldn't have been the manager that he became if it wasn't for Jock's Dean. So that kind of even feeds into Man United's success somewhat. I mean, not a crazy man, but he obviously did take massive inspiration. He was they kind of came from the same working class. Glasgow background and Bill Shankly obviously is included in that as well another Scottish manager who's like that but yeah like you're saying is just that the fact that they did it with with that group like you just look at squads now and you don't even get um, 11 guys from the same country in a starting lineup mm. anymore let alone let alone having all these guys and it's actually that's a good point you also made about the the Catanaccio because at that time it was pretty much if a team like that, especially like Inter, who are like the best team in it, if they went one 0 up against you, that was it. Like, uh, people don't know like Catanaccio means like doorbolt or lockbolt in attack uh, when you translate it from Italian. So it was pretty much like when they got their lead in a game, that was the bolt was closed. You weren't going to come back, and Celtic did go one 0 down um, in that final. A dubious penalty, I must say. <laughs> But it was given, and then yeah, to come back and and actually, actually beat them playing a pure, beautiful, inventive football, as Jock Steen put it himself. Yeah, my my uncles made sure I was indoctrinated in the in, in the Lisbon Lions, and that I knew I, that I knew all about them. Yeah. Um. So after after sixty seven, what else are the what else are we thinking of the, the top moments in the club's history? What comes next? Um. The story around like the. Centenary year, so in 1988, um, which again, sadly, a little bit before my time, but stuff you read about um, or watch about that team that just seemed, uh, was, I think Billy McNeil said it a few times that he was the captain when Celtic won the won the European Cup in Lisbon, but he and it sounds cheesy, and I'll grant you it sounds cheesy, but he does say there, there's just a, seems to be kind of like a fairy tale um, around the club sometimes where. Just these things happen that, that I, I do agree with. That it just I don't think it happens for every club. So like that year, there was there was a bit of pressure on Celtic um, on the hundred year anniversary to kind of come strong and kind of um, do pull something special off. But this was just at the time when. Um, Rangers were starting to really pump a lot of money in. Like mm. Graham Souness was that they had like so many. I think they had like four or five England internationals in the team. Like which is just crazy. Like it's only it's only just over thirty years ago that you think like quite a strong majority of an of an England um, starting team is made up of, of Rangers players. With so they were kind of just 
kicking off their really big period of success and then Celtic who they had had a good team like uh, like Billy McNeil has mentioned at the Lisbon captain he was the, the manager then they'd like probably a, a really good team but not a not a great team and they they went on to win the double um, but like the semi-final of the cup they were a goal down well, pretty much time was almost up and got two late goals and then done done quite a similar thing um, in the final where they were a goal down and then scored one quite late and then left it really late to, to get the winner so it's things like that where you just say yeah there is there is something quite special going on that they managed to to dig that out of the back. I think you'll remember as well, even just to off on a slight tangent when I mentioned Billy McNeil though about when he uh, passed away last year, um, Celtic played their first game after he died was against Kilmarnock and it was the player wearing the, his number five jersey who got the winning goal ah, when yeah. the 67th minute mm. came up on the clock, which was just quite stuff like that happens. And I'm like, oh yeah, I can um, I can see the point that <laughs> he's making. It was quite quite a special one. Uh, this is this centenary year is pretty incredible, and there might be one or two players we're talking about because they'd lost Brian McClare that season. They'd lost Alan McAnally. Of now of Sky Sports fame, yeah, and Bayern Munich fame as well, <laughs> and Bayern Munich nice. fame. Yeah. Uh, they'd lost uh, Murdo McLeod to Borussia Dortmund, and they'd lost Mo Johnson to Nantes. Ah, uh, no, uh, we don't, we don't speak that name. We uh, don't. Are we? Are we allowed? Le- to, are we allowed to even explain what happened with Mo? Johnson? Oh yeah, well, uh, we left uh, to join Nantes, yeah, and then uh, he's he's now known as uh, Le Petit Merde, actually, among a lot of my. Uh, lot of my friends or just Judas to others because <laughs> basically he went to Nantes <coughs> um, uh, stayed in France for a couple of seasons and then decided he wanted to come back to Scotland so uh, Celtic met him had a deal agreed with him met his agent everything was pretty much signed sealed and delivered one of those where it was 99% um, over the line and then this was kind of the days as well before social media, so it came as I think like at this massive bombshell when a day later, um, or two days later, it was all over the papers that he'd actually joined Rangers at the the last minute, which which was significant as well for him because he was uh, he wasn't only a massive Celtic fan, but he was also a Catholic, and they had a um, policy in place for a lot of their history where they just didn't employ. Catholics and then Graham Soonis think his wife um, is a Catholic herself so when mm-hmm. when he got their job he decided he was gonna he was gonna change that and yeah so it was that was a massive massive thing um well that's one of the, like the the biggest transfers I think it was just for that it kind of came out of nowhere that he kind of broke this divide um but yeah unfortunately unfortunately not a not a nice one. Although I find that uh, when, he, when you kind of weren't around for it, like you, I talked to, like, if you talk to older Celtic fans, like the the venom and the mm. hatred, it's mm. you cannot overstate it that, no. that they had for this guy. And unfortunately, as well, he scored like arguably one of the best one of the best goals in Celtic history, which is another uh, interesting story. I'll, I'll just give it a brief kind of one. Uh, Two years before, in 1986, Celtic um, were playing on the last day of the season. And Celtic, but there were pretty much there was no chance we could win the league. Um, all Hearts needed to do was draw. 
um, away to Dundee and Celtic were playing St Mirren away and even if Hearts um, had lost Celtic still had to make up quite a bit of goal difference mm. so Celtic um, were 4-0 up at half time ended up winning um, 5-0 but one of the goals in that game was like one of the like the free flowing football and stuff where it was oh it was like Pep Guardiola is at his best Ian. but <laughs> unfortunately the man who's on the end of it to to score the goal was uh was Morris Johnson. But yeah the Celtic won that one five 0 and uh Hearts actually lost two 0 and indeed they were all they had to do was draw and it was nil nil with um seven minutes to go and Hearts brought on a guy who is a lifelong Celtic fan who never actually played a game for Celtic but scored the two goals that won Celtic the lead so, uh, the league sorry so now people um, praise this guy and they give him more credit for Celtic winning the league than anything uh, Morris Johnson done amusingly um, for those of us like I grew up in a very particular household where this Protestant Catholic thing was just normal to me but like just to give some people and I'm sure it was probably something similar for you uh, but just to give some people some background on this and on how uh, the, how much hatred there was for Mo Johnson I believe he had to live in Edinburgh during yeah. his time yeah, he, did, he yeah. couldn't live That's, in Glasgow during yeah. the time because it was just too dangerous for him yeah, yeah and it wasn't even um, wasn't even among Celtic fans like that. I think there was quite a lot of Rangers fans like, as well that I can did, imagine yeah, yeah that were not that were not pleased on and not happy <laughs> with this sign and then he done he did he done quite well for them and he scored goals and scored goals against Celtic as well um, and was Weirdly enough, caught singing songs that <laughs> I mean that uh, go against his religion and stuff like that. But I mean, that's I guess he was trying to fit in or whatever. But uh, yeah, I think there's even like you're saying, there's a probably a like the same way that there's a section of Celtic fans that will never forgive him. I do quite um, uh, well believe that there's a lot of Rangers fans who have never quite uh, taken to him either, just because of that whole religious divide thing, which thankfully it's not anywhere near as bad uh, today or anymore as it was then but yeah like you were saying when like you were growing up or even when I was younger it was it was like a massive thing and it's kind of even if you try to explain to people that it's mm-hmm. it's really not like that anymore that it still kind of comes down to when when mm-hmm. you meet people on your travels and stuff and they talk to you about the derby the Celtic you're Catholic team their Protestant team right and it's like, mm. not but, really but yeah, yeah. <laughs> try try explaining to uh, your German in-laws about how why they paint the curbs different colours in certain parts of well, Northern Ireland yeah and it's the same same in Scotland same as well Scotland, there's, yeah, there's a really famous town um, in Scotland where there is and this is this is no word of a lie as much as it will seem bizarre where there is um, cages around the traffic lights because the green lights would get smashed. Um, the Asda, which is a famous kind of store in the, the UK, um, it's a green font that is the only Asda, I believe, in the UK that is blue. Uh, it's the same goes for the, like, which is obviously quite a universal sign the, uh, for a pharmacy, the green mm-hmm. the green cross, also blue. I think somebody said told me like the subway um, there is blue as well, and it's just like why it's like what 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 do they do with the grass like what do people just go around like tearing up the grass it's but then like ironically one of the best like celtic players ever um paul mcstay was just that oh captain like, captain like, fantastic yeah, yeah he was like um almost like the kind of francesco totti or a paolo maldini yeah. or somewhere he just stayed and he could have 
he could have played for um, for anyone. Really, he was that good, um, and he had, I think he had plenty of offers from like really big um, Italian and Spanish teams at the time to to go abroad. And well, kind of unfortunately for him, he thankfully for the club, he never took that opportunity. But because he just wanted to stay at Celtic, even though he would have been a massive success, I'm sure if he tested himself. But yeah, he's from uh, that that particular type, which is just. Wow. Just crazy that this this Celtic legend would come out. Of, oh, yeah. you know, I, I remember I remember him throwing his jersey into the jungle all those years ago. But yeah, uh, just the, the goodbye on those sort of weird quirky moments. There's a road in in Derry called uh, I think it's called Irish Street, and it's got the curbs painted blue, white, and red. <laughs> and it's called Irish. Street it's called Irish well. Street. Yeah, it's always yeah. An, it's always a nice touch. Um, the one final point about this centenary team because we did talk about it quite a bit um, do you remember who the goalkeeper was? Uh, Packy Bonner Packy, wasn't it? Packy Bonner indeed Packy Bonner uh, my mum rang him up one day I, I don't know how uh, rang him up I don't know how she got his number this is amazing <laughs> I must ask her someday but she rang him up and said hey uh, we're going to Scotland on holidays as any as any good Irish Catholic family would yeah, do and um, you know is there any chance you could give my son who's a massive Celtic fan a tour of Celtic Park and he rang her back and said yeah okay fine and so we turned up at Celtic Park and uh, he gave us a tour brought us into the dressing really? room yeah had us on the pitch had us posing with the European Cup and the full thing and he was an absolute gentleman yeah and my mum forgot to roll forgot to uh, put the camera into the thing oh, no at least you've got the memories, I suppose. I yeah. almost cried. Yeah, I, I still almost yeah. cry. I mean, that's yeah. so. That's that's one of my worst moments when it comes to Celtic history. But it, yeah. what what do we reckon is is was the low point for the club? Was it that was it that nine in a row from Rangers? Was it the financial meltdown in the in the two thousands? What was it? Um, well, there's quite a few actually. <laughs> um, the the low point for for me, if I was just like talking personally, like the one the one really really low point for me was well, it's kind of two. those uh, losing the UEFA Cup final mm. um, in Seville in two thousand and three, which is kind of it was the game that Jose Mourinho kind of made his made his name off was was beaten beaten as that. But I've never. <laughs> I've never forgiven him because t- time goes by and stuff, and it's like uh, whatever. But I'll always just—I've just will always have something in the back of my mind for Mourinho, just for the way that the way that we lost the game that night. I don't think we—I mean, Porto were obviously a really good team because they literally twelve months later won the Champions League. But um, yeah, they just was diving and rolling mm. around. It was the, kind of the first day I think I'd have been about. 11 or 12 watching it and it's the kind of the first thing you really really notice it mm. where yeah I just so I mean and I've talked to plenty of people because I've been like I've never been able to watch like the full game back and like none of my friends family have but I know people that have and said yeah like you know what they we were really good that night but they were just that little bit better but yeah that one just really if there was one result I could change it might be that just because I thought that was just an amazing team and to, to have won another European trophy. Brilliant. Which I think, yeah. Uh, Sutton, yeah. Larson, Lennon, Petrov, Lambert, yeah. oh, some great good players in there. Yeah, they, they could have went toe-to-toe. That, that was a Celtic team that I thought, like, this was around the time when Premier League was really strong and it was like Man United, Arsenal, and, like, I really think that Celtic team could have could have really competed, um, well, maybe, maybe with a better goalkeeper. <laughs> 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 but... 
Yeah, just that, that one. That one just really hurt because it would be nice to have had that to, to have another kind of European trophy to add to it. And then two years later as well, as the, there was there was a really bad one where we lost the league on the with about a minute to go. Um, we just had to win. We were winning a one nil against Motherwell away, and then uh, Scott McDonald, who went on to become quite a good player for Celtic, uh, scored some big goals. Uh, he got like two really late goals, and we lost the league. And it's known as well. Rangers fans call it Helicopter Sunday because the helicopter was almost at Motherwell. Mm-hmm. They thought the league was done, and then it had to turn around and head towards Edinburgh. But I think it's known as Black Sunday. I'm afraid among Celtic fans just because. It should no, it just shouldn't have shouldn't happen. That that black Sunday seems properly seems about right. Yeah, yeah, just uh, that, that one. I I'll never be able to forget that. Was, was that there's some Celtic fans uh, even on a play for Celtic and got like quite a lot of goals. They scored against Man United in Europe. Scored like the winner against AC Milan. Scored like really big goals, but I think. People will always kind of hold that one against them, unfortunately. Okay, uh, let's get your. Uh, we've talked about Jock Steen as probably the iconic manager of the club. Although, you know, Lennon and although Lennon's done very well, obviously Martin O'Neill did very well, but I think Jock Steen is probably probably the man. What about um, iconic player? If you had to choose one that that that, that really represents what the club's all about, uh, probably be Jimmy Johnston, who was. Um, a player in the, the team that won the European Cup it'd be kind of hard to look past if you're going to pick the iconic player it's, I think it's hard to look past one from the team that mm. team that actually conquered Europe and <clears throat> if I'm sure there's plenty of people who have not seen him play and I could just urge them just to go onto YouTube and just search up clips from if, if you thought that like Maradona was good at Dribbling and Messi's good at like uh, it's no exaggeration to say like just watch this guy he's just an absolute terror where he would just he'd beat a guy he'd turn back around and he'd go back and beat him four or five more times that was and his thing right that he'd that go, was, back, yeah, and beat, he'd go he back and just, beat players yeah. yeah and like he was just and when he was really switched on he just like a force of nature I think there's a famous story where he absolutely hated flying and uh just to test that was afraid of planes and Jockstein told him before a game European game um, against Belgrade um, that the first leg was at Celtic Park and he said if you can build us up a decent enough lead then you know what I'll leave you at home and won't leave and he went out and had the game of his life and Celtic won 5-0 so it just showed like when he was when he was turned on like, there was nobody stopping he got a standing ovation as well from a uh, the Bernabeu there was a few months after Celtic won the European Cup uh, Alfredo Di Stefano was like Real Madrid legend invited Celtic to the to the Bernabeu to play them in, a, in his testimonial and Celtic beat them 1-0 and that that's that's probably the game as much about the Belgrade one that is a good story and the, the one that I think a lot of people always go back to was just that he just tortured this incredible um, Real Madrid team and it, it was just he just he won he's won and I've been honoured plenty of times just being like the greatest sell and Mr Celtic and stuff and it was just the whole attitude that he had like by all like, I'd never met him but I'd know plenty of people who have and just said like like same for a lot of those players at that time they're just amazingly talented players but were just like really down to earth nice mm. guys and yeah so 
go, I'd go with him. But my own personal favourite, and you might remember him, was Lubo Morafchik. Remember, he's he, oh, he yeah. would be my uh, wow. he'd be my my personal number one. But I, th- I thought you were going to go Georgie Samras. Well, I do. I do love big. I do wow. love big. Everybody Sammy, loves. Yes. Everybody loves Georgie Samras. Yeah. yeah, but it's not. It's not trendy to like him. That's the only time I've ever been involved in a in a fight at the stadium was. Uh, because of him. Sorry, you were in a fight at the stadium. Well, not not a fight as much, but he he was very much a uh, Mister Marmite. Either loved him or you hated him. And I was at a game once where he scored twice, and uh, after he scored the second goal, I decided to let my brother know all about how good he was, and he didn't <laughs> agree. Let's say that led to led to. <laughs> bit of an altercation and then Celtic actually went on to let the two goal lead slip so yeah it was a really bad day Thank, thanks for that Samara <laughs> ok the, the the hopes for this season then I guess it's a, it's a league right yeah I mean the league is pretty much all that matters um, for this season because it would be the 10th uh, league title in a row that nobody in Scotland has ever done before so Celtic have won nine league titles in a row twice um, Rangers have done it once so this year it's pretty much it's uh, it's all or bust on that I think I mean I was furious about getting knocked out of the Champions League especially against a team that I know they've finished Varos have like qualified to the group stage now but they are a bad bad team but if there's one season I think they'll maybe be forgiven for not doing so well in, in Europe it might be this one if they just concentrate on the league but there's also last season's Scottish Cup actually to play for still and if Celtic were to win the semi-final and final of that it would mean that they've won a quadruple uh, treble which is quite wow I know people won't uh, well, it's another stick to beat Scottish football with that but I mean when you're a fan it's quite uh, I couldn't care less really no not really yeah <laughs> alright thanks for that Porik Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Michele, Manu and Porik. We'll be back next week, but should you miss it in the meantime, you can listen to the back catalog on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast hit. If you want to get in touch, the address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com and be sure to check out our Premier League podcast, which comes out on Mondays, and we may even have a special bonus podcast for you on this Friday. <laughs> <laughs>